Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This morning we'll look in verses 15 through 18 again. Last week I preached from the same text and this morning there'll be a lot of review on that. I felt, as I told you last week, I was rushed and had too much prepared. And uh, this morning I want to come back. I've reduced it some, but I still want to bring out the sense of it. And so, last week I entitled the message, The Holy Spirit With Us. And this morning I'm entitling the message, The Holy Spirit With Us, Part 2. I promised not to do what my dear brother Joe does and preach a hundred messages on one text. But uh, we were laughing and joking the last time he was here. Sander was saying, Brother Patty took one word and preached three messages on one word. And I said, I know how you can do that. That's his ministry. I love that brother. He's faithful. But Lord willing, we'll come to the conclusion of these verses this morning and move on through the text. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you without a guardian, someone to watch over you. I will come to you. John 14 is the testimony of our Lord's work in our life and its results. Our Lord focuses first on faith in the first 14 verses and then love in verse 15 and then obedience and the Spirit of God in the following verses. In so doing so, he is, in so doing so, he teaches that faith, love, and obedience are all present tense, all active, and all ever growing and ever increasing in the soul of his followers. We have learned from the scriptures in the last few weeks that God initiates both faith and love. We receive what God gives us. We have seen also that faith and love are bestowed by the grace of God and not by our works. And we have seen that faith and love work in our life so that we seek the Lord and seek to obey His will. This last week we looked into John 14 and verse 16 and we saw that the Lord adds another truth to these three. And that is... He teaches us the necessity of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God. John 14, 16 through 17, our Lord told his disciples that he would not leave them without the presence of God with them, but would send them a comforter, even the spirit of truth. In verses 15 and 16, we see those verses connected with that word and that binds two thoughts together so they are inseparable, as I said last, word, last week. By, do, by doing this, our Lord is teaching us that if you love me, obey my commands, and I will send the Spirit. Putting these two things together so they're un, inable, unable to be separated, teaching us the truth that in the truth of those verses cannot be separated. The truth of, if you love me, keep my commandments, cannot be separated from the necessity of the Holy Spirit. Cannot lift verse 15 up out of its context and teach it without teaching the necessity of the Holy Spirit. The truth of those verses bound together and for us. It is absolutely necessary for true Christianity to exist on the earth that the people of God have the Spirit of God with them. It is absolutely necessary for true Christianity to exist that the Spirit of God be with us. 
The most important truth that we can learn from this text is this, that the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life means God is working in us, with us and through us. Last week, we saw three things or three truths about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. First, we saw that the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration, the new birth, is absolutely necessary in every sinner, whether they lived in the Old Testament times or whether they lived in New Testament times. That all are sinners, all are dead in trespasses and sins, and all must be born again. We also saw that the Holy Spirit's work includes keeping those who believe in God, keeping them secure. Each believer is sealed with the Holy Spirit so that they are secure until the resurrection where body and soul are bound together for all eternity in the presence of God. And then the third thing we saw last week from both the Old Testament and the New is that the Holy Spirit works, work involves working in us to produce a true Christian life in us. These three truths... The Holy Spirit brings us to life in Christ. The Holy Spirit secures us in Christ. And the Holy Spirit works within our heart and soul of every believer in Christ to show forth the life of Christ are consistent with both the Old Testament and in the New. These three truths exist from Genesis to Revelation. So that raised the question, what was our Lord teaching His disciples in John 14 and verse 16 about the Holy Spirit and the necessity of it? There are two things taught concerning the sending of the Holy Spirit as our comforter. First in this text, and then he continues through chapter 15 and into 16. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit is with God's children to strengthen, empower, and protect them. And the second one is the Holy Spirit is in God's children to teach them the ways of God. These two things or what is being dealt with in this text and in the following chapters. So let's look first, because we still need to review some of the things from last week. First, the Holy Spirit is with God's children to strengthen, to empower, and to protect. The English word comforter is derived from the Greek word parakletos, as I said last week. It means to have someone come alongside you or someone come to your assistance. Unfortunately, as I said last week, the word comforter produces in the minds of those who read the English the idea of consolation. And though that is true, it is not the fullness of what that word means. Nor is it, I think, the intention of what Christ means in the context of where it is found. The, I think in the context, our Lord is teaching us that the Holy Spirit has been sent to be or will be sent to be with us so that when we face the opposition of the world as we are involved in our master's work. Remember verses 12, 13, and 14, greater works than these you shall do. Then remember that message. Don't forget the context of everything is that you will be involved in my work, you will be involved in obeying my command, and the Holy Spirit is necessary for both. As we're involved in the work of God and we meet the opposition of the world, the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen us and empower us to that work. As we're involved in the work of God and the evil one raises up to fight against us, the Holy Spirit is there to empower us to continue in that work. And thirdly, as we're involved in obeying or seeking to obey the commands of God and meet the opposition of our own weakness, weakness and our own frailties, the Holy Spirit is there to empower us and strengthen us to accomplish the will of God. These three things are necessary in the life of a child of God. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is with God's children to come to our aid, Paracletos, come alongside us, to come to our aid, to strengthen us, to protect us, to empower us. And this becomes important, more important, as I seek to, will seek to open up the message this morning. How 
is the Holy Spirit's strength, power, and protection demonstrated in our life? The answer is there are several ways. His work is demonstrated in us, and it is revealed in us, and is revealed by us, and others see it. They see the work of God. Last week, I dealt with Romans 8 and verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I said last week that this is the first work of the Holy Spirit being with us as Christians. He is there to testify to our hearts that Almighty God, Almighty God has committed Himself to be our Father. And He has adopted us to be His children. The true God, the true and living God, has committed Himself to be our Savior, to be our shield, to be our protector, to be our provider, to be our security, to be our everything. The Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. We belong to Him, and we are secure in Him, and we are protected by Him. That's the first truth that God begins to work and continues to work in our life as we go through our Christian life. The second one I dealt with last week was Galatians 5.17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Galatians 5.17. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Galatians 5.17 is teaching us that the Holy Spirit is with us to strengthen us against prevailing sin. He is helping us fight sin. He is helping us fight sin. The striving of the Spirit of God against the flesh and against the indwelling sin in a believer is a sure sign or sure proof and irrefutable proof that we have been born again and that we are a child of God. How many times have children of God come to me and said, Brother Pat, I, I got this battle going on. It seems like I'm losing. <laughs> seems like I'm losing. And yet they prevail. And up again they come up. Though the righteous fall of seven times, they're risen up again. And up again they come. And on again they go. What is that? What is happening? Is that sheer self-determination? No. That is the Spirit of God striving against that which wants to prevail against us. The presence of the Holy Spirit and His powerful work in us teaches us how to live godly in this present evil world. The third thing I addressed last week was Ephesians 3 and verse 16. Ephesians 3 and verse 16, where the Word of God says that He, speaking of God, where the Word of God, Ephesians 3, 16, He Paul is praying that he, God, would grant you, Christians, according to the riches of, of his glory, to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. And we talked last week about the Holy Spirit is in us to strengthen our inner man. That the outward body is failing and will fail. These, this is true, brother. If you are Sister, if you are aware at all of what it about your body, you are aware that it is weak. <laughs> you are aware that the tent that holds your spirit, that holds your soul in which you dwell, is frayed on the edges. It's flopped around in the wind a little. The moorings are getting looser and looser. You know that. You're aware of it. We are plagued by sickness and by weakness and by the frailties of our human bodies. 
all of our best efforts to strengthen our bodies. And I believe we should do what we can to maintain this body as long as we can. But I know death is coming. It is. And I'm not going to deny that truth. But strengthen what I can, strengthen what is remaining. We, are, we, we come to learn that our best efforts to strengthen this body ends in it being weak and frail. And we learn that despite that, the Holy Spirit is working on the inside to strengthen our heart, to gird our minds, and to empower us to continue living for Christ. That's the truth of God in us. The next verse I used last week was 1 Corinthians 3.16. This is all review. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And I said last week that he's talking about the local church. And the Holy Spirit is with the Lord's churches to prove. To prove something. To show something. To prove that he is present with them, and that he is laboring with them and that he has committed himself to be for them. God is with his churches to prove that he is present with them, that he is laboring with them, and that he has committed himself to be for them. I have told this story before, but not recently, of a church in northeast India that we organized. And it was a mile or so away from a from another Baptist church that had long since given up the truth. And we had organized it, and they were gathering, they were preaching the truth, and the man who was in part of that church uh, over here that is false would walk by on his way to work, and he would stop and curse them, and holler at the loudest of voice how no one should trust them, and he would go on to work. And from work he would come back, and he would stop, and he would curse them, and howl that men ought not to listen to them, and go on to uh, his house. The church building was in front of his house. And he did this day by day. And the whole neighborhood could hear him. And one day on his way to work, he stops and does exactly the same thing. And he goes, and the little church building is right there. He goes into his house, and he lays on his mat, and he's fast asleep with his arms out like this. And the neighbors said that a wind came and took that church building, no one, nothing else, and just demolished it. And took one of the posts up out of the ground. And took it up in the air. And through that roof where he was sleeping. Comes that post and down into the dirt. It sticks. And he wakes up. Because it's between his arm and his heart. Stuck in the ground. And he's trembling. And he goes outside and that building is gone. And the next day he walks to work and he stops and says, I was wrong. I was wrong. These people are preaching the truth. I was wrong. I was wrong. And he go to work and back the next day, I was wrong. I was wrong. God is with his church to testify that he is present with them and that he is for them. I've seen in my whole Christian life, nobody speaks against one of the Lord's churches and comes out of that thing better. They either repent or God deals with it. The Holy Spirit present with the temple of God to say, this is where I reside. These are my people and I am for them and I am with them. And the world doesn't see it. And God testifies of his own presence with his people. The next verse we looked at last week, Ephesians 2.18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a local church, that through the Spirit of God we have access to the Father. Through the Son of God we have access by the Spirit of God unto the Father. While giving us access to God, while working in our heart and giving us access to God, the Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit is teaching us how to pray because we're not born again knowing how to pray. We have to be taught how. 
and we learn how along the way. Teaching us how to worship. We don't come out of our false religion knowing how to worship. Teaching us how to worship and teaching us uh, uh, how to, what it is to know God and what it is to serve the true and living God. We don't know these things. He's given us access to the Father and access to the Father and learning of Him and praying to Him and worshiping Him. That takes place as the Spirit of God is in the assembly. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is this. The Holy Spirit is with God's children to teach them the, God's Word. The Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, the Comforter is called the Spirit of Truth in verse 17. John 14, 17, the Spirit of Truth. He has come to teach us the truth that is in God's Word. Through His ministry, we not only learn the truth of God's Word, but we are corrected in our error and protected from a multitude of religious errors and traditions. We don't come in to Christianity knowing the fullness of truth. We have all of us turned to the right hand or to the left, only to be brought back and taught by the Spirit of God. This is not right. That's not true. Come this way. John 14 in verse 26 in the chapter where we are at this morning and we'll get to it in a, in a little while. John 14 in verse 26 But the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name He will teach you all things. John 14, 26. John 16 in verse 13 The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. One of the evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's people and one of the evidence of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, with the Lord's churches is this. Truth is set forth, truth is learned, and truth is practiced. My focus this morning will be on the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit as I begin now to move away from some of the review of last week and those some that I will say coming up will be partly reviewed, but I'm going to add more to it. So the question I want to raise this morning is this. What are some of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches the children of God? And the list could, the answers could be multitude, but I want to try to narrow it down for us this morning. First, before we go any further, I want to make a statement. It must be stated that the Holy Spirit teaches God's children the truth revealed in God's Word by using God's Word. Now, I have a library, as I said last Lord's Day, and I got good men in my library, but they are just men, just like me. God uses His Word. You rely on that. You rely on God's Word. We're going to see that in the Old Testament and on the New. But before I go any further, I want to make three statements. First, these three things, I think, are true from the Scriptures. First, it is evident from the New Testament that some of the Lord's churches embraced biblical error. Most of the epistles written in the New Testament, most of the epistles in the New Testament, written in the New Testament, seek to correct error that had grown up in the Lord's churches before the end of the first century. In the 60 or so years from the time of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ to the death of John the Beloved. 60 plus years. The error had cropped in, crept in to the Lord's churches. That's evident. Okay? That's the first truth. Secondly, it is also evident in the New Testament that those churches who continued to hold to biblical error at some point would cease to be true New Testament churches. This is the warning of the first two chapters of the of, uh, first uh, three chapters of the book of the Revelation. At some point, they would cease to be New Testament churches. The Lord of that church would take his people out, come out from among them, and remove the candlestick, remove the, his presence from that church, and another church would come into existence in his place. 
last on Tuesday in the last Bible study I had, uh, we were dealing with the Apostle Paul, and I said, what, why did God choose the church at Antioch to take the gospel into the known world instead of the church at Jerusalem? And we went through some scriptures as to the errors that this church had adopted that they were unwilling to correct. And by 70 AD, they are dispersed. Antioch becomes the station and the church where God is sending the gospel out into the known world. This church, unwilling to repent of error, ceases. This church continues for many, many years. We see this. The third point is this. First, it is evident that some New Testament churches embraced error. New Testament epistles written to correct that. It is also evident some churches continued in their biblical error and at some point ceased to exist. The third point is this. It is also evident that the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Lord's churches resulted in those churches embracing the truth found in God's Word. In other words, they repented of their error. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the error, 2 Corinthians speaks of their repentance. We see this in the Scriptures. Churches falling, they see their error, they change, they correct themselves, and they go on. God's Spirit working in them. Using the Word of God. So that brings me to this point. God teaches His people from His Word. We see this in the Old Testament. Psalm 25, if you want to turn over there with me. Psalm 25, we're going to look at verse 4 and 5, and then 8 and 9, and then 12. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Psalm 25, 4 says, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. The psalmist then cries, Lead me in thy truth. You see it? And what? Teach me. Teach me what? Thy truth. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Verse 8 Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Verse 9. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Verse 12. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. There's no question from the Old Testament, this psalm being one example of the fact that the saints in the Old Testament understood if they were going to learn God's ways, God had to teach them. And if they were going to learn God's way, God would teach them using His truth. This is the truth of the Scriptures. We come over into the New Testament. Back into the Gospel of John. John chapter 6 and verse 45. John chapter 6, back in the Gospel of John. And I'll, start, I'll try to stay here in the Gospel of John. Uh, for these references. Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 45. For it is written, or it is written, in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. This is true in the work of salvation. It is also true in the work of true Christianity. They shall all be taught of God. God teaches them. God shows them and God uses His Word. John Chapter 6, 45, then John 14 and verse 26. We've already looked at it. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Six, chapter 16, verse 30, 13, another verse we've already looked at, re-emphasizing this truth. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. The Spirit of Truth will guide you into all truth. And the summary statement, John 8 and verse 32, John 8 and verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Holy Spirit teaches truth 
by using the truth of God's Word. The Holy Spirit reveals the spiritual blessings reserved for us in Christ. This is critical for the Christian life. We come, as I said last week, into the Christian life a blank slate. We don't know anything. We don't know anything about what is true of Christianity. We know religion. We know morality. We know the standards of the world, but we don't know what is true of Christianity. And so he begins to teach us the things taught in the Word of God concerning all the blessings that we have in Christ. And I'm just going to give you a list and not spend time this morning opening up each text. The spiritual blessings that we have in Christ include divine election, which culminate in our glorification. Divine election from eternity past culminates in us being in heaven in eternity future. It begins with God and culminates with God. That's the summary of it. It includes predestination and adoption into God's family. It includes acceptance into the very presence of a holy God. It includes redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes a divine inheritance bestowed upon the children of God. It includes faith as God's gift so that we might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, through which we get, obtain God's salvation. And it includes the sealing of the Holy Spirit as our security, as our protector. It includes the promise of a resurrection of our bodies, that when we die and the body is laid in the grave, and we are before the throne of grace in our spirit, before God who called us and saved us in time, but chose us in eternity, that one day He will come and gather us, body and soul together. That's a promise from our God. It includes that we will live forever with Him in a glorified body, in a place the Scripture calls heaven. And much more than that. And all of these things we learn because we're taught the truth of the Word of God from the Scriptures. And every one of those doctrines settles us down on a stronger and stronger foundation and gives us more and more confidence in the God that we have entrusted our soul to. Every time we learn something new from God concerning what He has done, it settles our hearts. It gives us a strength that we did not have before. And every time God teaches us something new, we find ourselves having more and more confidence in the God that we have entrusted our soul to. This truth becomes absolutely necessary for the Christian life on this side of glory. The Holy Spirit has been sent to the Lord's people and to the Lord's churches so that they may come to know the fullness of what they possess in the Lord Jesus Christ. All the spiritual blessings that reside in the Lord Jesus Christ are revealed and bestowed upon God's people through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That brings us to the third point in this. If from God's Word... We not only learn the Word of God, but we also learn how God uses His Word to work in our life to produce that which we call the Christian life. We don't just learn the facts, but from the truth. We begin to learn how God uses that truth and how that impacts our life. And how that directs our steps. And how that directs the way we live in this world. The Holy Spirit has been sent to lead us. So that we may learn how to walk with God. I said last week, Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean for a child of God to walk with God? We don't know until we're taught what it is meant. By the Spirit of God in us. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these, they are the sons of God. They are the sons and children of God because He's leading them and directing them, teaching them how to walk with God. They are being led by Him.
One of the evidences that we are being led by the Spirit of God in our Christian walk is that we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. One of the evidences that we have led by the Spirit of God in our Christian walk is that we learn to walk by the Spirit, not by the efforts of the flesh or the dictates of the law. The Spirit of God is teaching us, leading us, directing us what is true Christianity. Teaching us not to have any confidence in the flesh, but to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching us what it means to walk with God, not by the strength of the flesh, but the strength that is in us. The Spirit of God with us. Paul deals with this. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 18, he reminds the churches at Galatia, but if you're led by the Spirit, the same language is in Romans 8 and verse 14, Galatians 5, 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What is he talking about? Well, they were trying to go back under Moses. They were trying to go back to the law written on tables of stones. They were trying to, to, to be circumcised in order to please God. Yes, you're supposed to believe in Jesus, but you need more than that. You need to be circumcised so you can know how to walk with God. No, Paul says. Not tables of stone, but the heart. The law written on the heart. And those that would use this verse to put away the moral law of God are violating the Scriptures. He's not putting away the moral law of God. He's putting away the, second co- the first covenant, the covenant of works, the first revealed covenant, because the first covenant was revealed. Well, no, I can't even say that. He's putting away the covenant of works and bringing their minds and hearts to a covenant of grace. You can't learn how to walk with God if you're walking by sight. And you can't learn how to walk with God if you're trying to use the Old Testament as a standard. The letter of the law. But all the Christians had in the, in the new first century was the Old Testament. They learned from the Holy Spirit how to walk in the spirit of the law. And you've heard me preach the law of God. Some of you have. And how to drive from it the spirit of what God is saying. Not the letter of it. Again, in Galatians 3, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul, correcting the churches of Galatia, says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? How did you begin your Christian life? How did Christianity begin in your heart and soul? It began with God doing something. By the Spirit. It did not begin by your works and your efforts and your good determination and your good uh, resolve. It did not begin with that. It began with God doing something inside. Having begun by the Spirit, Paul argues, are you now made perfect by the flesh? By a circumcision, by dragging Moses into the new covenant and putting him alongside Jesus Christ. Is that what Christian perfection is? And the whole argument of the book of Galatians, it says, no. Christ is enough. And the Spirit of God in you will teach you how to walk with God. This is the whole emphasis of the New Testament. And this goes back to the question I asked, what is God teaching these Jewish disciples? What is the Lord Jesus Christ teaching them in chapter 14, 15, and 16? They come out, they're still thinking like Jews under an old covenant. They're still thinking of a kingdom that God's going to establish on the earth. They're still thinking like we need to have a king set up in Jerusalem. And all of that will go by the wayside when the Spirit of God comes and teaches them the truth. That it's the spiritual kingdom, not the physical one, where the emphasis of the Scripture is. The next point I want to make is this. The Holy Spirit is in our life to show God's presence and God's strength in every situation and circumstance we may face. I touched on this as I closed last Lord's Day. 
I want to open it up more this morning. This is where I believe the focus of our attention needs to be this morning. It is the work of the Spirit of God in you and His power in you that gives the Christian the strength to face whatever circumstance they are facing. Colossians chapter 1. Turn over there with me. I want to read two verses. Colossians chapter 1. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You get it anywhere close. That's the order. Colossians chapter 1. I want to look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11. Paul is praying. And he's praying, and in verse 10 he says, That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child of God, as Paul is praying, what is it that you would walk worthy of the Lord? What is it that you would be fruitful in every good work? What is it that you would increase in the knowledge of God? Brethren, we would spend the rest of our Christian lives learning of the one true and living God. And then that you would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. So that you might be patient. So that you might be long-suffering. And so that in the midst of that, you might have a fullness of joy. Brethren, listen. If you are able, the word strengthened means to be enabled. God giving you something the ability to do something you don't normally have, okay? Coming from the inside. That's what the word strengthen means, to be enabled. If you are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be patient, and that word patient means a cheerful endurance. It has the idea of enduring whatever comes our way as Christians. Enduring whatever is thrown our way by the world and by our enemy as Christians. If you are enabled to be patient, if you are able to endure as you walk through this world, and if you are able, enabled to be long-suffering, and that is forbearing under every circumstance. That's what the word long-suffering means. It means to suffer long. To forbear under every circumstance. If you are enabled to do that, if you have continued under these circumstances, and, and to be joyful, that is to have a calm Delight on the inside. At the same time that you were enduring and suffering long, if you are enabled to be that way, it is because, as the scripture says, the might, strengthened with all might. It is because of the mighty power. The word might here means the miraculous power of God. You want to see a miracle? Watch a child of God under circumstances that would break anyone. Sit calmly and say, God's in control. That's a miracle. To say it is well. When everything around them is coming down around their ears. That's a miracle. The might. The miraculous power. Of the Holy Spirit working in you. Showing. His presence. In whatever circumstance. That God is there. It's not about this outward stuff that is proclaimed today. God does outward things. I just gave you an illustration of that out of India. 
And I've seen God do some pretty amazing things, things that I would call miracles. In fact, so many I've seen and so much I've talked to other pastors about. One time I was invited to a church and the pastor gathered the church together and said, Brother Pat, I want to ask you the question, what is the greatest miracle you've ever seen in your life? They were so enthralled with some of the things that I was saying. I said, Brother, the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life is God save a sinner. And everything else I've seen with my own eyes pales in light of that. And I've seen some pretty miraculous things. Many try to describe the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit by outward demonstrations. But God describes the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit as being demonstrated by that which flows from the heart and soul of a believer under such dire circumstances that he feels he's enduring and suffering long in this situation and yet remains faithful to God because God is worthy. The Holy Spirit will be with you to teach you. What is He teaching you? Just the Scripture? No. He is teaching us how to walk with God. He's teaching us what Christianity is, what it means to live with God in the soul. That brings me to the text. In the second text that I want us to look at. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the text I skipped last week and I want to bring it this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 because the same truth is found here and yet it's opened up much more. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The context of this is talking about those who are God called men. But the application of it can be to every Christian. Okay? We interpret according to the context, but we make application according to the rest of the truth of the Scriptures. We're going to look at three verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4. But, in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. And verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God. There is much here, and I need to quickly deal with it. First, if I have been proven to be an able minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you have been proven to be a true servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the word minister means in verse 4. But in all things approving ourselves as ministers. We were dealing with the doctrine of deacons. I came to this verse. It is the same word as deacons. It has to do with servants serving their master. The context is to God called men serving their master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The application to all Christianity. So I'll make the statement again. If I have been proven to be an able minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you have been proven to be a true servant of the, of the living God, it will be because we have gone through a variety of trials and circumstances, and we, as well as others, have seen evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is working in us through those circumstances. This is what this text proves to us. The spiritual proof, are you listening? The spiritual proof that we are the servants of God is revealed by the Holy Spirit in you. God testifies of His own work. Are you listening? If you are a Christian, you are the workmanship of God. And God testifies of His own work. We are not religious people who have to prove to other religious people our worth. 
We are Christians, bought with the precious blood by the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we have God in us, which is our hope of glory. And He, He demonstrates His power and His strength in us. This is what Paul is talking about. His miraculous power, verse 7, the power of God. His miraculous power is revealed in our life. Let's go back to verse 4. How is it revealed? Look at the words. How are we proven to be the servants of God? Look at the words. Much patience. Cheerful endurance. That's the word. In afflictions. The word afflictions means pressure. Put upon us by persecution or tribulation or trouble coming our way. Pressure. The saints of God feel pressured at times. The evil one seeks to wear out the saints of God. He seeks to destroy them. They feel that pressure upon them. Necessities. All things needful for life and living on this side. Distresses in has to do when all things seem to be closing in on us from all sides. And we feel the pressure of all four sides closing in on us in the top and the bottom and we're closed in. That's the word distresses. It means that we are put into a vacuum, into a, not a vacuum, a pressure cooker as a Christian. Everything closing in on us. Verse 5, stripes, referring to wounds and injuries experienced as a Christian. Imprisonments, being locked up physically, but it may also have a spiritual application, and that means to lock, be locked up in a situation not of my making that I can't get out of unless God opens the door. Peter was locked up physically. God came and opened the door and he walked out. Spiritually, there are times in the life of a Christian where he feels like he's locked up. Bound by uh, 16 Roman demons. <laughs> Chains. God comes and the doors open. And he sets us free again. Imprisonments. Tumults. This word means that which is unstable and confusing around us. I thought about the world we live in today. It's in a tumult. Unstable and confusing for the child of God. Labors. This word labors has to do with physical labor, but it actually has to do more with the weariness and the pain that comes from physically laboring. The bodily pain that comes from working. The bodily pain that comes from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Watching sleepless nights. Being kept awake either by the Spirit of God or by an evil one or by something in our own hearts. Fastings, being kept from food by choice or not. Verse 6. And now some positive things that prove us to be Christians. Worked in our life, including our clean life, pureness. The knowledge of God and His Word. Our endurance in all situations. Verse 6 speaks about long-suffering, endurance in all situations. Kindness. Here, the word kindness has to do with our character. has to do with our usefulness in the midst of enduring situations. It has to do with a gentle spirit. And then unfeigned loved. The summary is this. In everything that might come into our life as Christians. Whether it's from the negative side as the world hates us and Satan hates us. Or whether it's from the positive evidence of grace working in our hearts. Everything that comes into our life. Testifies that we are a Christian. Because the Spirit of God is working mightily in us. Testifies because the Spirit is bearing witness that we are the servants of God. His mighty power 
displayed in and through every circumstance. That's Christianity. That's part of what it means to walk with God. And that brings me to the text that we left where I hastily went through last Lord's Day, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And with this we'll close. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. We'll look at just two verses. Oh no, we have... I said with this we'll close. We will go to the book of Revelation after this. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Apostle Paul has been praying. He's prayed three times that this affliction may depart from him. For Verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he, God, said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, my power, is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of God may rest upon me, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Made strong by God's strength in me. Again, if we are enabled to continually stand for the things of God, despite the fact that God has allowed us to be weak, to be ill, to be in need, to suffer distresses. If we have been enabled to continually stand in that situation, we have done so because the Holy Spirit has miraculously empowered us to do so. He has bestowed much and more grace upon us. He has given us what we do not have in our flesh, and it is demonstrated in our life by gladness. Okay, if this is what it's going to take to walk with God, then I, this is what I want because I know if this is what He's ordered, He will strengthen me in it. When William Carey was going to go to India, in 1792 he arrived on the shores of India. His sister wanted to go along with him. Shortly before he departed, she became ill and could not leave. Her illness continued on until she was bedridden. Back and forth, they read, wrote letters in the early days of his ministry in India, and she would pour out her heart as to why, how she wished to be with him on that field to labor for the cause of Christ. And he would come back with, labor on your sickbed by praying for me. Her diary reveals that she went to the Lord through much prayer for her brother, William Carey, in India. I thought as I was closing this message, as I was studying this week, how does the book of Revelation describe the children of God? That thought may have never come to your mind, but it came to mine. And so I went over there this week and searched some verses. And we're going to close with these verses. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Turn with me over there to see these verses. Revelation 1 and verse 9. I'll give out the address, but I really want you to read if you can. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. John addresses the fact that he is the one writing here. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation... Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, speaking of the church at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 8, um, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And unto the angel of the church at Smyrna, write these things, saith he, saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. Verse, I know thy works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. The Lord of the church is walking through the candlestick. He is in this church. He knows what this church is suffering. 
He says in verse 10 to this church, Fear none of these things, those things, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you in prison, into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. It's a figurative word for a completeness of time. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. This is a church empowered by the Holy Spirit with the presence of God with it. Walking up and down, as it were, the pews, knowing the heart of every one of those that are in this church. I know, he says, God with his church. Revelation 7 and verse 14. Revelation 7 and verse 14. In the second half. Speaking of those who are in heaven. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are, these are those that came out of tribulation. Revelation 17, verse 6. Revelation 17, verse 6. Listen to the Scriptures. Revelation 17, 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. I saw this woman, this false religion, this harlot of harlots. And the bride of Christ is this glorious people who've washed their sins in the blood of Christ and who have been faithful to Him. That religion on the face of the earth is this great harlot, that woman drunk. Drunk with what? With the blood of the saints. With the blood of the martyrs. God with his people. And those in heaven. Seeing. Those filled with the spirit of God. Empowered miraculously. To stand for Christ. In the midst of severe persecution. That's a testimony. Of Christianity. Not some little physical outward thing that might be duplicated. I may or may not send out Spurgeon's devotion this evening where Aaron threw down the rod and the priest of the Pharisee threw down their rods. Both their rods also turn into serpents. Spurgeon addresses that. I think I'll send it out. God is always victorious. Even though Satan likes to duplicate the things of God. Dear Christian brother, sister. This promise is so that God won't leave us as orphans. This promise is that God will be with us. The spirit of truth will be with us. And he will lead us in the truth. And he will teach us the truth. He will teach us what it means to walk with God and to be with God. They don't know anything about that or little of that right now. But these apostles will learn. And if you're a young Christian, you will learn. You will grow. If God is in you, it will come out. It will be seen. It will be testified by God himself that you are his and he is yours. And if you're here without Christ this morning, the hope of eternal life, the hope of dwelling in heaven, despite whatever goes on on this earth, Despite whatever persecution may arise, despite the fact that the world hates Christians, the hope of gaining heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not escape the judgment that is to come upon this earth. You will not escape it. None will. Unless you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the one who has died at Calvary. He is the one who has paid for the sin of sinners. He is the one who was buried and rose again. He is the one that ascended in heaven. He is the one that prays that sinners might repent and believe on him. And that he then prays for them that they will be sustained day by day. And with each passing moment, they'll find strength because God is there. You say, I don't know if I can be a Christian. I don't know if I can live like this brother or that brother. Yes, you can. Because this brother or that brother lives by the power of the Spirit of God if he lives at all. 
And if God comes into your heart, He will do the same for you. I don't know if I can be like this or that. No, you will not be able to be like that, but you will be able to be what God makes you. And when God makes you that, then you'll have what you need to serve Him. I don't know if I can hang on. No, you're right. You can't. Salvation is not you, you reaching up and grabbing hold of God. Salvation is God reaching down and grabbing hold of you. You need the Lord Jesus this morning to save you from your sins. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he keeps you by his power. Manifest in your life. Let's pray.